Well, good morning again. I'm excited to have you worshiping with us, and we are, uh, if you can believe it, getting toward the tail end of our one-to-one series, and this morning we're going to be looking particularly at our new standing or our new life in Christ, and what we're going to be talking about essentially is um, what happens when we place our faith and trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive our sins. Um, Is it just one of these things where we say something um, and God hears it and that's great, that's wonderful, or is there actually something going on? Uh, Not only where we stand with God, but also then how we are to live for God when we become a believer, and that's what we're gonna be examining this morning. But to do that, I want to take a minute, and I just kind of uh, think it's interesting about how God just puts things in your life that come together when you're putting together a message. God did this a little bit later this week than normal, but I don't know about you. Yesterday, um, we went outside in the middle of that snowstorm and just saw God creating this white blanket of just cleanliness and beauty. Did anybody get outside in the middle of when it was just coming down like crazy? Gorgeous, wasn't it? Probably one of the most beautiful snowstorms that I've been in here in quite some time. Just massive flakes coming down, cleaning essentially the area and putting this white blanket down. And it was a reminder to me as we were out there just sitting in it, the cleanliness that God gives to us for the sins that we've committed because of what he's done on the cross. That we've been truly washed white as snow, that we have been forgiven, and that we are now in God's family, part of his kingdom. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, I pray that you've been encouraged by this. I pray that as we've traveled through and we've seen the joy and the authenticity of the scriptures, that we've looked essentially at how it can be trusted. We can look and see how well attested to the scriptures of what was originally written uh, is today. How we've looked and examined our relationship with Christ, who we are apart from Christ, who we need to be, for lack of a better word, through Christ, who we become in Him, as we're going to see in just a moment that it's an encouragement to you. But also, again, I want to remind us that part of the reason why we are doing this is so that we can go out and we can encourage other people with the message of the gospel. We can be salt and light to the world that we are in. So the question we've asked this morning is what happens when we place our faith and trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive our sins? And in the study, Dr. Lewis says this, and I think there's two aspects that we're going to speak to this morning. He says, becoming a Christian is the radical transformation of the heart and life. And I'm going to just stop there for a minute. Has your life radically changed after you place your faith and trust in Jesus? I just want to pause there for a minute, okay? I said this before, I'm not saying you need to be me, I'm not saying that you need to become a pastor, I'm not saying that you have to do what I do, but a question that I want to ask is, is Jesus just sort of an add-on to the life that you've already led, right? This is my life, I'm doing my thing, oh, somebody told me about Jesus, they said that I need Jesus, so um, I guess I'll go ahead and put my faith and trust in him, that's great, but I'm just going to continue in the trajectory that I've done, and there's no change in who you are? Or is there a difference? Has your heart radically been transformed? Has your life been changed? 
is your trajectory more for the kingdom of God and less for yourself? More to bring glory and honor to Jesus than to bring glory and honor to you. It occurs the moment that one reaches out to God with a personal, life-changing faith. We've talked about the fact that we must place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We've spoken to the issue that God desires a deep, personal, intimate relationship with us. We've come to see that God is not this far-off, distant God that sets the world in motion and then wants nothing to do with it. We've discovered that, no, the exact opposite. God wants to be intimately involved in every aspect of our life. And so what we see is God reaches back with his life-changing power. In the embrace that ensues, a wonderful transformation occurs. Jesus went so far as to call it a new birth. And we see that in John 3.3. A new birth. And so the question that I would ask is, have you been born again? Is your life different? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Is he Lord of your life? And have you been born again? And the reason that we say born again is to remember and recognize that apart from Jesus, we are spiritually dead. I've said this before, but Jesus did not come to make good people better. He didn't come to just improve our life. That may be a result of following Jesus. That might be essentially an outflow of having placed our faith and trust in him. But the reason that Christ went to the cross was because apart from him, we are dead in our sin. And there are no means that we can get to God in and of ourselves by our own fruition, our own good works, by coming to church or by doing certain things. We don't have the means to do so. We don't have the collateral to pay off the debt that we owe. But yet Christ willingly went to the cross on our behalf to pay that debt off, to forgive us of our sins, so that what we're going to discover in a minute, we can have a new standing in Christ and we can have a new life in Christ. The Apostle Paul describes this encounter as making all things new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and again, that's where I'm referring to yesterday when the snow started coming down. It was just this white blanket. It was a transformation of the landscape. It was this clean presence, a silence, a joy that you see. And it was such a reminder of the new standing, the newness that we have in Christ. And so the next thing that I want to ask you is this. Has your life been made new? Do you realize that your life has been made new? You are a new creation in Christ. Or are you still the same that you were before? And so this morning, the first thing that I want you to see when we place our faith and trust in Christ and ask him to forgive us of our sins is that we have a new standing in Christ. What does that mean? What, what, what are we talking about when we have a new standing in him? We have to recognize that apart from Christ, we're separated from God. We've talked before that we are dead in our sins, that we have not been justified, that we are guilty of the sins that we've committed. Last week you heard about how I said that when I was driving my car at uh, quite exorbitant speed, I was caught by a policeman and I was guilty. 
I was due a penalty. I was due to lose my license. That's what I was owed. And by the mercy and I would say grace of the judge, I was allowed to not lose my license and still keep it so I could keep my job. That's not what I was owed. I was owed or due to lose my license. Similarly, here, when we walk with Christ, we have been given new life, but apart from him, what we are owed is separation from God. What we are owed is to be placed apart from him in what is the reality known as hell, a physical, real place that is not one I wish anyone to be in. That's what we're due. But because of God's love for us through Jesus Christ, we're given eternal life. We are removed from that penalty when we place our faith and trust in him. And so we stand new in him and we discover that we are a new creation in him. Other thing I want you to see, Dr. Lewis says this, the moment one places his or her faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, one enters into two spheres of reality simultaneously. One sphere could be labeled my new standing in Christ or your new standing in Christ. The sphere concerns those things which God has given to me the moment I put my trust in Christ. What do we receive? What have we been given? The other sphere of reality could be called my new life in Christ. The second sphere concerns those things which God desires to do in me day to day over my lifetime through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to be examining both of those things. Our new standing what we've been given, what we receive, but then also our new life in Christ, how God is working through us day by day to set us apart from the world. Or the more technical term is to sanctify us so that we are different. And the question that I want to ask is, do we rejoice in our new standing in Christ? And if we do, are we allowing God to bring about the new life in Christ that he desires to do so? through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that I want you to see, what happens? What's our new standing in Christ? Well, the first thing that we need to remember and recognize, and the first thing that we want people to see when we place our faith and trust in him, is that Jesus has forgiven all of our sins. Okay, kind of a no-brainer. We look at that and we say, well, yes, that's true. But why is that important? I want to emphasize this again because oftentimes what I see is individuals will take a route where they go and they say, you know, Jesus really wants to give you a better life. Jesus wants to make whatever's going on in your life better or help you out with this. And that can be true, but not to the fault of helping the individual see that we must have our sins forgiven. And that's why Christ went to the cross in the first place. If we de-emphasize our sin and need for a savior, we take for granted the salvation of what we've been given. And when we take for granted the salvation of what we've been given, we begin to minimize our worship of our savior Jesus Christ. Jesus has forgiven our sins. We see this in Colossians 2.13. It says, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nation, uh, nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. 
That's one of the things that we must remember and stress is exactly what is in this verse. That apart from Jesus, apart from God, we are dead in our sins. Spiritually, we have no means to get to God on our own. But through Christ, we've been made alive. This new birth, this new life, when our sins have been forgiven. The other thing, too, is to recognize that he has forgiven all of our sins. One of the things that I would encourage us to remind ourselves in is there are times where we can come to God and say, oh, sure, God, you probably could forgive me for that, but I don't know that you could forgive me for this. And oftentimes what we can do is struggle with the sins that might be entangling us, wondering and saying, God, sure, those things maybe you could forgive, but I don't know that you could ever forgive that. And what I want to encourage you in is is don't let the enemy come forward and make you think that whatever sins might have entangled you in your life are unforgivable. We have new life in Christ. But I also want to take a moment and I want to turn that the other way. How often do we look at other people and judge them and say, oh yeah, well gosh, they could never forgive that person. Look at what they've done. Look at what they're not doing. Look at how they live their life. When we see that Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, number one, we need to rejoice in the fact that all of our sins have been forgiven. But also, may we look at one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and realize that if Christ has forgiven all of our sins, then who are we to judge the person sitting next to us? Because all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. And what unifies us is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So may we have grace, may we have joy in our life, realizing indeed that our lives have been forgiven of our sin. But also may we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and realize that so too have their lives been forgiven of their sins when they've placed their faith and trust in Jesus. So not only has Jesus forgiven of all our sins, but he's also given us eternal life. And remember and recognize that. We realize when we come to see who we are and how we've been created that ultimately we have not been created for this world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we come to realize the reality of our life when we place our faith and trust in Jesus is that this world is not our home. Enjoy it. Live it. Be blessed by it. But ultimately what I want to tell you is we're just passing through. This is not our destiny. This is not what we are made for. This world will pass away. And so the other thing that I want to encourage you in is how often in our lives do we spend time worrying about what's going on in this world when we recognize that ultimately what we're doing is is just leasing it. And we have the opportunity to buy our heavenly kingdom through our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're made for. In 1 John 5, 11 through 13, this is what it says, and this is the testimony God has given us, meaning a gift. It has been given to us through Jesus. Eternal life, and it's categorized, notice the following, and this life is in his Son. So if we want eternal life, if we want to live with God forever in his kingdom, we must remember and recognize that that life comes through the Son, Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so lovingly, I just want to ask you a question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? 
Because if he is Lord of your life, then you have eternal life. If he is not Lord of your life, then you do not have eternal life. That's what the scripture says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have Jesus in your life, if you've made him Lord of your life, rejoice in the fact that you have been granted the gift of eternal life. And the joy in that is that even though we die, we live. Because I don't know about you, last time I checked, we all are going to die unless Jesus returns. But the moment that we draw our last breath here, we draw our first breath in our true home, which is God's kingdom. And that brings great peace and comfort to our hearts and to our lives when we go about some of the challenges that might be out there. That brings hope in a world that isn't always fair, in a world that is troubled, in a world that is broken, in a world that is filled with sin to know that ultimately this is not our home, but our destiny is secure in Jesus. So in our new standing in Christ, not only do we see that Jesus forgives our sins and that we have eternal life, but also the next one that I rejoice in is that he's made us a child of God. I kind of love that, this is like on cue, this wasn't planned, right? But God's just kind of doing his thing. One of the things that is so amazing to me about God is simply this. God could have, think through this for a minute, said, okay, I'm going to do all of this. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus. He's going to die on a cross to give you eternal life. You're going to put your faith and trust in him. And when you do, have eternal life. But after that, I want nothing else to do with you. He easily could have done that, couldn't he? And some days I think, man, maybe the way that I treat him, he should have done that. But what does he do? He says, not only am I going to give you my son so that by placing your faith and trust in him, you have eternal life and it is secure and you have this new hope. But beyond that, I'm going to make you my child. That's the deep, intimate relationship that God is after and that God wants. And how many of you rejoice in spending time with your children? How many of you want to spend time with your children? How many of you delight when they come to you and they run and they say, Daddy, Daddy, play with me, spend time with me? How many of you are compassionate to your child when he or she hurts themselves? How many of you want what's best for them? How many of you would do anything for them when they are hurting? That's exactly what God does for us. He's made us a child we see in John 1.12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are his child, you are part of his kingdom, and you have received full rights and privileges as a son or daughter adopted into the family of God. 
And so one of the things that I want to encourage you with, and one of the things that you want to encourage other people with, is that beyond the relationship, beyond the fact that yes, you have your sins forgiven, yes, you have eternal life, you become his child. And so relationally, you can go to God as his child with every need that you have, with every joy that you have. And he delights in your time of relationship with him. Sometimes, you know, you can think through the fact that you can go to him as a child. And God is not this far off, distant thing that says, who are you? I'm too busy. Or he doesn't sit in some office somewhere where you have to go and look to a, uh, make an appointment. And God sits down and says, what do you want? I've only got five minutes. Give me your best shot. And then he pushes you out of the office. As a child in your relationship with him, you can go and you can talk and you can sit and you can be real, and you can be transparent, and you can say, God, these are my hurts, these are my successes, these are my needs, these are my fears, these are my desires, these are my wants, and God delights in that. And so you have the forgiveness of your sins, you have eternal life, you've become his child, but also know in our new standing in Christ that he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us forever the third person of the Trinity. Sometimes I joke around and I say that the Holy Spirit is kind of like Tonto. We don't give the Holy Spirit enough credit, do we? We talk about the Father and we talk about Jesus, but we neglect the third person of the Trinity, which is so important. It's the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor that indwells us, becomes part of us when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. And so I'm going to read this scripture and then I'm going to talk about the spiritual reality that we have. John 14, verse 16, and then we're going to verse 26, says this, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. It is a deposit that you are given when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And notice that it is given to you and it is with you forever. When you have the Holy Spirit, you are God's, period. God is not going to say, I'm going to give it to you and then say, oops, I made a mistake. If the Holy Spirit is living and active within, within you, that deposit has been guaranteed and granted to you, and it is yours. And then it continues on, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The counselor is there to help us to better understand the word. The counselor is there to prick us, to say, hey, perhaps maybe the direction that we're going isn't pleasing and honoring to God, or maybe it's going to cause damage to my relationship with him. The Holy Spirit is there to help us to better understand God's word, to draw us closer to him, to make us more into the image of our Savior. But also, I want to share this with you. God is within us. We are not God. We are not little gods. 
but God through the Holy Spirit is within each and every one of us. So the first thing I want to say is this. When you look at another brother or sister in Christ, do you see the Holy Spirit within them? And there's a two-way way to look at that. Number one, I need to go to myself and say, am I reflecting the Holy Spirit in my life? When people see me, do they hold, see the Holy Spirit within me? But number two, when I look at someone else, do I see the Holy Spirit within them? Meaning, not judgmentally, but do I realize that the reason that I say brother or sister is because we're spiritually bonded to one another, that you're part of my family, and our Father is our King. And so often I think that what we do in life, and particularly as we look at other individuals, is we neglect the fact that when we look at a brother or sister in Christ, we realize that they too have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them. And how differently we might treat one another, how we might encourage one another, how we might bless one another when we look to each other and we say, you too are a child of God. The other thing, and I've said this before and I've used this analogy, it, it, it blows my mind. Um, when we look back to the Old Testament, we realize that God dwelt where? In the ark. That God wanted to be with his people. And that's wonderful. And that's not a bad thing. But we also recognize that because God dwelt in the ark, because he was so holy, there was a separation that the people had from God. We realize that God was in the temple, he was in the ark, and there was the Holy of Holies. And we discover that the only individual that could go in there was the great high priest. And that's something we'll be speaking about here when we go into the book of Hebrews. That if you or I, the commoner, went in there and we decided to be in the presence of God, what would happen? Okay? Indiana Jones all over again, okay? But this is what blows my mind, that God dwelt among his people in this gorgeous temple in the ark, and he trades that. He trades that to live in the muck and the mire of my heart and my life. He goes essentially from the penthouse to the pit, and he says, but this is where I want to dwell. This is where I want to be. I want to be in you, and I want to shine through you. And that blows my mind. That's how much God desires to be with us. And so rather than saying, you know what? I want to be part of you, but not really. I kind of want to be close to you, but don't bug me. I want to stay in the temple, but you can't get close to me. God says, no, I'm going to give you my son, I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to make you my child. But not only that, I'm going to come and I'm going to live within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I look at that and I think, God, thank you. Thank you for the gift that you've been given. Thank you for the gift that I have. And so the next question that I have is, do you cherish the Holy Spirit within you? Do you see it as a gift? And the next thing I want to show you is not only do we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us forever, but we have a new standing in Christ and it's a gift that we have been given and we do not earn it. 
This, all of what we have, all of what we have been given, the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, being called a child of God, the indwelling, for lack of a better word, of the Holy Spirit, brings us to a new standing in Christ. We're no longer guilty of our sins. We are justified. We've been made righteous before God. We are his child. But all of that is a gift, and we don't earn it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I can't boast of who I am in Jesus. I can boast about Jesus and what God has done for me, but I can't boast about what I do Everything I've been given is a gift. Everything I have, I owe to him. And yet God gives it freely and gives it wholly and gives it non, or I should say without reservation to all of us when we place our faith and trust in him. He says, here, it's yours. I want you to have this. And so does that bring us to a point of worship? Does it bring us to a heart that says, God, thank you for what we have in you? Now, not only do we have this new standing, and we've seen again that Jesus in this new standing forgives our sins. He gives us eternal life. He makes us a child of God. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And that we have this gift, and it hasn't been earned. But now, not only does that occur, we have a new life in Christ. And that's the aspect of how we live we're called to be different. We're not called just to receive all of this that we get and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm going to be on my way. We're not called to say, thanks for what you did, but I don't want to turn my life or make it different. We don't want to go and say, thank you for what you have given and say, now get out of here, Jesus. But what we are called to do is to have a new life in him. And so the next question that I want to have asked of you is, is your life different? Truly, honestly, as you examine your heart and your life after coming to Jesus Christ, would you say that it's different than prior to being a believer in Jesus? And so in this new life in Christ, one of the things that God desires of us is this. He desires to change us by offering us a new power. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit. He wants to draw us toward a different trajectory. I'm going to read to you essentially the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 25. But I also would encourage you to read prior, okay? Just for, for today's message, for the um, sake of time, I just focus particularly on the fruit of the Spirit. But I also would say don't just go there. Look at what's above there. Because there's a great difference between someone who is not empowered by the Holy Spirit or living by the Holy Spirit than someone who is. But we're going to focus on this trajectory. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so one of the questions I want to ask is, are we exhibiting that? When we go about our life, I'm not saying we're perfect, okay? We all have faults. But if someone were to look to you, if someone were to examine you, would they say, you know, what I see in that person is a heart of love? 
I see a peace in that person. You know, I've watched them. I've seen their life. I've seen them go through hard things. But somehow they have this peace, and that peace is definitely marked by who Jesus is. I see patience in them. Our world isn't very patient today, is it? We're so quick to judge. We're so quick to demand. We're so quick to want. We don't like to wait. And I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to talk about kindness. I'm just going to, I'm going to say this and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pull back a bit. Lovingly, and, and here's what I, I don't see a lot of kindness by Christians on Facebook. I just don't. I'm sorry, I don't. I see so many individuals going in and saying things on Facebook and then they say mean things and I look and I'm like, I know that person's a Christian or at least they say they are. And what I see on here isn't very kind. And so may we be kind. May we go out to one another. I'll pull back from that and I'm just... Are we kind to other people? Can we be kind to one another? Goodness. Do we desire goodness? Do we want goodness in our lives? Do we want to see goodness in other people? Faithfulness. Are we faithful to the word? Are we faithful to God? Are we faithful to the duties that God has given to us? Are we gentle? Or are we demanding? Do we want our way, and when we don't get our way, do we throw a fit? Are we kind with someone that maybe doesn't understand, maybe has a different position than we do? Do we treat people with respect? And then self-control. Are we able to control our lives? Again, not legalistically, but is there self-control in who we are and how we live our life? Are we controlled by the Holy Spirit? Can we look at something and say, you know what, that isn't going to be good for my relationship with Jesus. That's going to damage or pull me further away from God rather than draw me closer to him. So I don't want it. Or do we go and we say, oh, I've got to have that. I've got to have that. Can we control our urges and our desires? Against this thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Have we crucified the sinful nature? Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. That's not what I'm, what I'm talking about here. But are our hearts still for the old? Are we still wanting our old life, but yet we want, essentially, the salvation of Jesus? And the two can't coexist together. And so when we place our faith and trust in Christ, because we're a new creation, we're called to put away the old we're called to crucify the, the sinful nature, to no longer have it before us. And so then he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we're living by the Spirit, my question to you is, are you in step with the Spirit? And here's one of the things. This is another analogy that I want to give to you. Um, yesterday, as we were playing in the snow, right, um, one of the things that I found so much fun was as I would step in the snow, Noah was behind me and he got smart and realized that it was a lot easier to get around if he followed my footsteps. Okay? And so a simple analogy in this is if I'm the father 
and Noah is following, it's easier and he's keeping in step with me. But what would happen, I mean, he'd be fine, but if he goes off on his own, it's become, it becomes harder. It becomes more arduous. And so lovingly, what I want to ask you today is, perhaps in your life, maybe the reason why your relationship with God might be arduous right now, hard or challenging, is not because you have left God entirely, but it's because you're not keeping in step with the Spirit. And so lovingly, just say, Lord, am I keeping in step with you? Am I going after what it is that you want in my life? And if I made you Lord of my life, are you the one who commands my life? Or am I wanting the benefits, but then telling you, no, I don't want you to have control over who I am or what I do. I want to go my own way. And so, in our new life in Christ, God desires to change us by offering us new power. But then also, he desires to help us build relationships of real love. The unconditional, irrevocable, undeniable love of Jesus. The agape love that we've talked about in the past. He wants us to build relationships of real love. A new command I give you, this is out of John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And just to kind of put more emphasis on that, this love that we talk about, each and every one of these in the Greek, whether we like it or not, is agape. It doesn't change. It doesn't transition to a conditional love. I've said it before, we use love very flippantly. We can use love in a variety of different contexts. I've said that I can say I love Kelly, I love the Denver Broncos, I love tacos, and I love God. All with the same word. You would hope that obviously there would be a different level there in my affections. In Greek, there were different words that would explain the different aspect of love, and the ultimate expression of love was known as agape. And that agape love is an unconditional, undeniable, irrevocable love that God gives. And why is that so important? Because our world is so taught about a conditional side of love. I will love you if. I will love you if you benefit me. I will love you if you're a Denver Broncos fan. I will love you if you do these things for me. I won't love you if. You're not one of these things. Or better yet, I will love you when. I will love you when you get your life together. I will love you when you figure this out. I will love you when you become a Denver Broncos fan. Okay? But that's not the case with God. It's I love you, period. Unconditionally, irrevocably, and undeniably. And so when we talk about this, a new command I give you, love one another unconditionally, irrevocably, and undeniably. As I have loved, past tense occurring. Okay? It's done, it's finished, but it transcends through time. As I have loved you unconditionally, irrevocably, and undeniably, 
So you must love unconditionally, irrevocably, undeniably, one another. And when we do, all men, all mankind, will know you are my disciples if you unconditionally, irrevocably, undeniably love one another. And so lovingly, I'm asking, how are we doing there? I'll admit, yeah, I struggle with that sometimes. Am I loving individuals unconditionally, irrevocably, undeniably? I'm not saying changing the gospel. I'm not saying changing the gospel message. I'm not saying kind of moving to appease their desires or their wants. But when they oppose me, when they oppose what I believe, when someone is different than me, when someone looks different than me, has a different thought than me, is a Kansas City Chiefs fan, can I love them unconditionally, undeniably, and irrevocably? Because God has loved me and loves me unconditionally, irrevocably, and undeniably. Not only this in our life, he desires to create in us a new ambition in life. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether you're at home, in the body, or away from it. I just want to pause real quick there. What is your ambition in life? I have several ambitions in life. There are several things that I desire, et cetera, et cetera. But what I want to tell you is that apart or prior to, I should say, coming to the Lord, I had an ambition, and it was all about me, myself, and I. It was all about what I wanted. But now having come to Christ, my ambition, my main goal, my main desire is to make Christ known. Yes, there are things that I would want. Yes, there are desires that I have. Yes, there are hopes and dreams that I hope occur for myself, Kelly, and my kids. But my main passion, my main ambition, is to please God. Is that your ambition? God wants to create in us a new ambition for life. He also desires to make a difference in the world through good works. He wants to use us. Okay? We don't do good works to gain God's approvability. I want to be very clear on this. But God desires to use us through good works to bring glory and honor to his name. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So one of the things that I think is so important, and I'll be honest with you, there are some days when I wake up and I'm super excited to get to church. I can't wait to do whatever I've got to do and see what God's going to do. But there are some days when I get up and I don't have a whole lot of pep in my step, right? But then I think through and I look back and I say, you know what, God, you've prepared whatever it is that you have for me today in advance. So help me to do the work that you have for me today. And I'll also tell you this, there are hundreds of times where I'll come in and I have essentially, this is, this is what I'm doing today, right? I'm going to do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And I get literally one step into the door and it's all thrown out the window because something has occurred, right? A tragedy, maybe a need, maybe something going on. And I look at that and at times I might get frustrated and say, well, wait a minute, I had all this planned out. But then I realize that's what God has planned for me today. 
And so are we able to flex with who God is and what he plans and the works that he has for us? In what you're doing today, wherever you are, whatever work you have, do you recognize that God's planned for you to do it today? Whatever it might be, whatever position you're in. The other thing that I want to say real quick there too as we talk about going out and being the gospel to the, to the world around us, realize there are places that I can't get to that you can. There are relationships that you have that I don't. And that's how the church expands and grows and is salt and light to the world, that you can go out and be that person in places that I simply don't have access to. God wants to use us to make a difference in the world through good works. And then finally, kind of what I've been driving home is this, that we no longer live for ourselves, but we let Christ live and rule through us. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. And so again I just ask simply this are you living your life solely for you? Or has your life been changed and transformed to where you are living it for Christ and allowing him to rule in your life? Is he Lord of your life? Or are you still lording over your life? We've seen today, we've talked about sort of the changes that we have when we place our faith and trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive our sins. And we recognize that we have a new standing in Christ and we have a new life in Christ. And that in the new standing, Jesus has forgiven our sins. He's given us eternal life, that we're his child. That we've been given the Holy Spirit that lives within us forever. Now, all of that new standing is a gift, and we haven't earned it. But then in this new life that Christ desires as he transforms us on a daily basis, there's a desire that he has to change us by offering us a new power, a new direction. He desires to help us build relationships of real love. He desires to create in us a new ambition for life. He desires to make a difference through us in the world via good works. And then ultimately, we're to no longer live for ourselves, but we're to allow Christ to rule through us. Kind of the final thing I want to drive home again is, is that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we do have a new standing in him, and we have a new life. And so may we cherish the new standing, but the question that I leave you today is, have you embraced the new life that we have in Christ? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, we thank you for you, and we thank you for the blessing that Christ is to us. We thank you for the joy that it is to know and to serve you. And Father, I just thank you for the brothers and sisters who are gathered here this morning. I pray that you would continue to encourage us, challenge and equip us with the blessings that we've received through you. Father, I pray that we would just take sort of a moment, take stock today, and examine our life and say, Lord, am I really living it for you or am I living it for myself? Father, may we realize that little by little, as we allow you to permeate our hearts and our lives, you change us and you transform us. But Father, if there's an area that maybe uh, comes before us where we say, you know what, I've really been convicted here. I really recognize that I'm kind of living my life for me. That number one, we would realize that when we look to that, when we repent of it, we're forgiven. 
those desires are, are placed aside, God embraces us and cares for us and loves us. But also God begins to transform us. And little by little, he chips away and molds us more and more into the image of our Savior Jesus, not so that we can bring glory to ourselves, but that we can bring glory to God's name. And so, Father, mold us and shape us. As we've seen in Scripture, as we've seen in song, you are the potter, we are the clay. And allow us to become whatever it is that you want us to be so that we might bring glory to you. We just thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. And we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen.